Today I'm going to tell you about a church that made Jesus sick. Now, they themselves thought they were a good church. They thought they were quite successful, actually. They were wealthy. They probably had good numbers. If you asked any one of them in this church, you know, how's things going at your church? They probably would have said, fine. But when Jesus gave his report about them, he said, you people make me sick. In fact, Jesus had really nothing good to say about them. Now, right away, you and I got to be wondering, I mean, what kind of a church is this where Jesus has nothing good to say about them? I mean, what, what's going on in a church that Jesus says, these people make me sick? And not only should we be asking those questions about that church, but we also should be maybe asking ourselves the same question. Is it, is it possible that that you and I, that in our church, that Jesus would look at us and say, you make me sick? I, I sure hope not. Well, today I want to talk to you about that church. And we, we read about the church, we learn about it in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I invite you to turn there with me, if you, if you would. I know that doesn't sound very inviting, but you and I, you know, talk about, we're getting a bad report from Jesus here, but you and I need to see this because there's a good chance that you and I may be uh, in a rut that these people were in, and we need to get out of that rut. So we're going to go to Revelation 3, verses 14 to 21, as we continue our teaching series on personal renewal. That's our, our subject here for these six weeks uh, uh, early on in the year 2021, talking about renewing our relationship with God. In particular, uh, we're, we're looking at different spiritual ruts that we get into in our relationship with God and how to get out of them, what the Bible says about how to address those spiritual uh, challenges we have in our lives in our relationship with God. The first week we talked about the being in or how to get out of the rut of having a diminished love or a cold heart before God. We also looked at uh, we also looked at the rut of being distant from God, the rut of uh, prayerlessness. A week ago we talked about the rut of secret sins. Today we're talking about another rut that's very common, and the scary thing is is that we can be in it and not see it. It's the rut of lukewarmness, the rut of lukewarmness. This is the issue in this church in Laodicea. This is why it is that Jesus was sick about these folks, why he had nothing good to say with it about them, because they were a lukewarm church. Now, hearing that for some of you maybe begins to solve some of the mystery about what the problem was, but probably for lots of us, though, we hear that and we're like, so what does that mean? What's a lukewarm church? Well, let's read about it, shall we, and, and see so we can understand the issue and identify whether or not maybe we're in that rut too, and especially, most importantly, get out of that rut. And that's what our series is called, Get Out of That Rut. That's what this sermon is for, to help you get out of the rut of lukewarmness. Uh, the church at Laodicea, this, this letter here to them in uh, Revelation 3 is uh, the seventh letter in a series of letters in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Seven different, seven different letters to seven different churches from Jesus himself through the Apostle John where, uh, where he gave a report on the condition of these different churches. Um, he he commends all of them in different ways, except for one church. 
the church at Laodicea. He has something good to say about the six other churches he addressed, but when he came to Laodicea, he didn't, he didn't have anything good to say about them, but instead he rebuked them and told them, you're lukewarm. Let's look and see what it is the Lord Jesus said, and especially uh, uh, about, about how it is that they could address this lukewarmness in their lives, and for us, you and I, how to deal with it if it's there in ourselves. Let's look at it, shall we? Revelation 3 and verse 14. Here's the words of Jesus to this church. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, or I would take that to mean to the pastor, to the messenger at the church at Laodicea, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now right here, Jesus starts his letter just as he, does, he did, does in all the seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3, with a revelation of himself. He tells these believers something about himself. He shows them something about himself that's relevant to their condition, to their situation. And what he tells them, first of all, as he says that he is the amen, or someone who is true, he's the faithful and true witness. Now, why is he telling them this? Well, I think it's this. I, I think it kind of goes like this. He's reminding them, listen, you can count on what I say is true, right? Like when I, when I, when I say something, you, you can count on the fact that I understand fully. I see all sides of it. You, you recognize that when I speak something, you can bank on it as 100% true, right? And we say, yes, God's people say yes. Why do you say this? Well, because you might find what I have to say hard to believe. In fact, you might, you might hear these words and your first inclination is to think that I'm somehow mistaken or these letters got mixed up. This, this letter must be for another church. He can't be talking about us, is he? But understand, I am talking about you and what I say is true. And then he says this, he says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The word beginning here is not to be taken in the passive sense as though he were created. Uh, Christ Jesus has, is, has always been. He exists eternally. Actually, it's the opposite. He is, is talking about him being the beginning of creation, the active sense as the creator, as the one who's initiated the creation, as the one who's made all things that are. A, a, a letter that the Laodicean church would have been very familiar with, Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians in our Bible. They would have known well the passage from chapter 1 that says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. Now, what's the relevance of this? Well, at the risk of getting ahead of myself, I just say this. The Laodicean church was a very affluent church. Okay, they had, they had all kinds of financial resources. They're an affluent church. And there's a reminder here about where all these things ultimately have come from. There's a reminder here. Hey, listen, listen, you remember, remember who the creator is. Remember who the, the true creator is. It's me. What do you really have that didn't ultimately come from me? There's really no self-made people. There's certainly no self-made church. He says, I'm the creator. He's reminding them that I'm the 
I'm the true one and I'm the creator. I, I'm the one from whom comes everything that you have. All right, now you got the picture? Now Jesus reveals himself to these Christians and he's revealing himself to us in these ways here today in our message for good reason. He's got something he wants to say to us and he wants us to remember who it is who's saying it. It's Jesus, the true one, the one from whom comes all things. All right, there's, there's this Jesus we worship, we love. Now he's got a message. Listen to what he says, verse, verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Or sorry, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. In other words, I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now there's the line. I'll spit you out of my mouth. You people make me sick. What, why would he say that? What does he mean? What's this lukewarmness? He says, you are lukewarm. I wish you were cold or hot, but you're not. You're lukewarm. Well, I think it helps here to, to recognize that Jesus is using language that, that might have really resonated in Laodicea. If, you're if you and I were standing in the ancient city of Laodicea and we stood facing north, we would know that 10 miles to the north was the city of Hierapolis. In the city of Hierapolis, it was famous for its hot springs. It's hot springs with its hot waters, with the, the hot water that has therapeutic value. I don't know if any of you, maybe you have a hot tub uh, at your place. If you do, I'll try my best not to be jealous. But uh, that hot tub is a wonderful thing, especially, you know, after a workout or after some exercise, or if you've got achy, sore muscles, there's nothing like slipping down into a hot tub because that hot water has, has therapeutic value to, to deal with, with soreness. There's, there's therapy there. There's recovery there. Uh, in that the, those hot springs. And that's what Hierapolis was known for, all right? So you, here we are, we're in Laodicea, we're reading this letter, 10 miles to the north is Hierapolis with its hot water. 17 kilometers to the east is the city of Colossae. And you know what they got in Colossae? They've got spring water, cool, cold, refreshing spring water. Like picture yourself on a hot summer day, not like in the freezing bitter cold we're in right now, but a hot summer's day. You've been out mowing the lawn, maybe you just got back from a run or you've been working outside on the job and, and you are hot, you're tired, you're parched, you're thirsty. And what is it you want? You don't want hot coffee. You don't want pop. You want cool, cold water to refresh you. Well, Colossae was all about that. They had the, the cold, wonderful, fresh water that was refreshing. Now, here we are in Laodicea, hot water to the north, cold water to the east. What's Laodicea got? Laodicea's got a problem, and you know what it is? They had no water source of their own. In fact, their water had to be piped in via an aqueduct from Hierapolis. The hot water goes into the aqueduct in Hierapolis and makes its way down that stone, uh, that stone passageway 10 kilometers to Laodicea. And when it comes out the spigot in Laodicea, what's it like? It's tepid. It's lukewarm. Many suggest that probably after traveling all that way and considering the source, it probably had a bitter taste to it. No matter what's it like when you get a mouthful of lukewarm water. <laughs> Not very pleasant, is it? I got a couple of young men that I know and love who like to play little tricks on each other. And from time to time, uh, one will say to the other, I'm going to get a drink. And, oh, I'll get that for you. 
and they'll go in and they'll, they'll fill up the cup of water, but they won't fill it with cold water. They'll fill it with from the hot water tap. So it's kind of warm, lukewarm. They'll bring it, here you go, oh, thanks. And they'll take that drink of water and sip it in their mouth. And what do they want to do right away? <laughs> Spit it out. Jesus says, that's how I feel about you in your lukewarmness. If you were cold, you would be refreshing me and refreshing each other with your aliveness. You'd be worshiping me in spirit and in truth. You would be, uh, you would be refreshing the faith of the weary. You would be restoring the sinner. You would be, uh, you would be ministering life. You'd be caring for the downtrodden. You'd be a church where there's refreshment happening, where there's spiritual zeal and vigor. You'd be on mission if you were cold, but you're not cold. If you were hot, if you were hot, you would be, you'd be ministering to the spiritually wounded. You'd be showing mercy to the poor. You'd be bringing relief to the unfed, unclothed, unevangelized people in your community, but you're not. You're lukewarm. And I wonder, friend, if you are lukewarm. Lukewarmness is a serious spiritual rut that we must get out of. And it's really marked by two things. First of all, being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by complacency. Complacency. Complacency is that attitude that says, good enough. Okay? It's that attitude that says, look, I'm good, I've arrived. I've done my bit. I've made enough progress. I don't need to do more. I'm complacent. Have you ever, have you ever tried to coach a complacent athlete? Or have you ever tried to work with a coworker who's complacent about their job? What's that like? Not very fun, is it, right? What, what, what's their attitude toward their work? Nah, good enough, whatever. There's no initiative. There's, no, there's very little effort. There's very little interest in doing it well or in, or, or in doing it better. Or maybe if you, some of you maybe, uh, maybe just are pulling your hair out over a pl- complacent kid or a complacent loved one. You know, you're frustrated because they're just starting to be uninterested and have this attitude of, oh, it's good enough. If you've got a spouse who's complacent about the marriage, and they want to really kind of work at it. They don't want to put a lot of effort into it. They're complacent. It's good enough. It's fine. This is what was happening here in the church of Laodicea as they had become complacent in their ministry. They weren't on mission. They weren't reaching out. They weren't serving the Lord with passion, with zeal, with creativity, with desire. They were at one time not a complacent church. In fact, 30 years earlier when this church was planted, they were a hard-working church. They were active in ministry. We read about this in Colossians, the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul, who was involved in the, the planting of that church, said in Colossians 2.1, he said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. There was struggle that the church planting and the, the, the church planter and those early uh, believers, the, the first generation members of the church at Laodicea, there was real struggle there. They really had to work. They had to put their back into it. They had to put their hearts into it. They had to labor away. Uh, it was a real spiritual battle uh, for them. They were zealous. They were engaged. They spurred each other on to love and good works. 
But that was the first generation. Now the next generation were kind of living off the fruits of the first generation that had become kind of lazy, kind of passive, disengaged. I've done my bit. It's good enough. Somebody else, somebody else can do this. They have become complacent. Loved ones, complacency is a dangerous thing in the life of any church. A church that's complacent is a church that's lost sight of its mission. A church that's complacent is a church that's lost sight of its purpose. A church that's complacent is a, is a church that's lost its desire for Christ, its concern for the lost, its hunger to see people deci- discipled. A believer that's complacent is a believer that's become just good enough in our relationship with God. But they, they, they don't share the call of the prophet Hosea who said, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. They don't share the apostle Paul who, who, who talked about uh, his, his longing to share in the fellowship of Jesus. Oh, that I might know him. A complacent Christian is one who who has lost their zeal for spreading a passion for the glory of God amongst their neighbors, in their community, in their city, in their country, in their world. A complacent Christian is someone who who says, oh, you know what, there's a need over there. Somebody ought to do something about that, but never once considers their own responsibility in Christ toward meeting that need. I wonder if you maybe have recognized in your own life a little bit of complacency. I wonder if there's some lukewarmness in your life. I wonder if Jesus were to come and to give a report about our church, if he would say, I wish you were cold or hot, but you're neither. You're lukewarm. Being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by complacency, and it is a rut, loved ones. It's a groove you get into that over time becomes difficult, a challenge to get out of. Being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by complacency. It's also marked by, uh, by self-sufficiency. Notice in the text, come back to the text again, verse 16, Jesus says, So because you are neither lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, now here's the, the Laodiceans, listen to what they say. Listen for their heart, for their attitude. Jesus says, you're luke, you guys are all lukewarm. The Laodiceans say, they say this. Jesus says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's not good. That's not good. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, like for real. And white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salved to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, they were in a rut of lukewarmness and didn't see it. They were complacent. They were also self-sufficient, self-sufficient. Did you hear their attitude? Did you notice that verse 17? I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Do you hear that repeated I? They had an I problem, didn't they? 
They need a spiritual salve for that eye problem. They saw themselves as sufficient. Now, really, this church in Laodicea was a reflection in some ways of their culture. The city of Laodicea was well known for their own resiliency. And, and I mean, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, they, were, uh, they were in many ways saw themselves as a self-made city. They, had, they prided themselves on their, on their independence, their industry. Uh, it was a center for medicine. It was a center for textile production. Uh, it was a crossroads for traffic, uh, traveling through the, the region. So there was much business came there. This was a city that uh, was on the go. And, um, and surely they were hardworking people, but they saw themselves as self-sufficient. Um, in fact, just a case in point, in 60 AD, a massive earthquake struck the city, and um, uh, they were quite proud of the fact that without help of outsiders, they were able to rebuild and reconstruct. And there's parts of that that we can certainly admire and applaud. The problem, though, is forgetting the fact that anything that we have, anything that we own, anything we really accomplish isn't ultimately owing to ourselves, but to the creator, to the provider. And this is especially true for Christians. What church is there that's really truly thriving, that owes it to their own ingenuity, that owes it to their own creativity, that owes it to their own flash and style and presentation? No, if lives are really being changed for Christ, it's because of Christ, isn't it? And yes, our, our, our ingenuity, our creativity has a role to play, surely, in the Lord's hands. But at the end of the day, the fruit is ultimately not owing to the people, but to the God who has provided it, who's made a way for it. What happened in Laodicea is what happens in so many churches. The, the sins of the culture become the sins of the church. The self-sufficiency and pride that was present in the culture made its way into the church. And Jesus said to these Laodiceans, you say that you're good to go. You don't think you have a problem. But I'm here to tell you that you do. They were a people who didn't recognize, they'd forgotten that they needed help. Have you ever had that experience of telling somebody, now listen, don't try to do this on your own. Get some help or, or wait till I get there so I can help you. And they don't heed that and by the time you get there and show up, they've either hurt themselves or damaged the thing that they were trying to do on their own or both. Have you yourself ever done that? Or maybe you've been that person that said, I don't need directions. Directions are for people who don't know where they're going. I know where I'm going. Only to find yourself getting lost. Well, the reality is, is that just as in our ordinary lives, we can sometimes be quite foolish in our self-sufficiency it's true in our spiritual lives, in our walk with God, that self-sufficiency is a serious rut that we need to get out of. Being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by self-sufficiency. And I would suggest to you, loved ones, that the clearest indicator of a self-sufficient church, of a self-sufficient Christian, the clearest indicator, the most prominent marker of self-sufficiency is prayerlessness. When we're not bringing, regularly bringing our needs before the Lord, that's a sure sign that we see ourselves as self-sufficient. When we're not praying, we're effectively saying to God, I got this, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, there's other people that need your help, but not me. 
Nami, I've got sufficient wisdom to make my own decisions. I've, I've got just the right skill and knack to raise my children. I've got the right romantic suave to pull off a great marriage. I, I can do this. I've got my own health. I've got my own ingenuity. I'll make it through on my own. I don't need to pray, give me this day my daily bread. I'm going to go out and get it for myself. God, there's other weak, needy people that maybe you need to help, but not me not me. Do you, do you talk like that? Do you, do you say that? Is that sort of your mantra? Do you have that written on your mirror, tattooed on your arm? Well, maybe you've got it written on your heart if you're not praying regularly. <laughs> Why are we commanded in Scripture to pray without ceasing? Because we need to. We need to. A sure mark of self-sufficiency, a sure mark of lukewarmness is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness makes Jesus sick to his stomach because there's an arrogance there that is, um, that is to him a grievous thing. Being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by self-sufficiency. It's a rut that we need to get out of. Uh, being in uh, lukewarmness, sorry, is marked by self-sufficiency, and that's a rut that we need to get out of. And Jesus calls these believers out of that rut. Notice verse 18, what he says there. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you. So after laying out the issue before them, he says, I counsel you. So Jesus, I've got some advice for you, okay? So you might want to listen. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. You say you're rich, but there's a kind of wealth that you need. There's a treasure you need to store up, not here on earth, but in heaven, that you can only get from me. What is that? What's this gold? Well, I think that this, this gold is, uh, is the true riches of treasure in heaven. You need to buy from me gold. Well, uh, well, how do I do that? I do that by laying up treasure in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Paul says to Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Or, that sounds really weird, right? Not H-O-T-T-Y, like, wow, you look haughty. But, but like H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. It's pride. It's self-sufficiency. As for the rich in this present age, talking to believers who are well off, and generally speaking, in the West, in Canada, that's us, charge them not to be haughty, proud, self-sufficient, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works. That's the gold Jesus is talking about to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold. That's the gold of good works, of, being, of not being complacent, but being active, serving him, being not tepid, lukewarm, but being hot, being with, with, uh, with healing and hope for the nations, being cold, not spiritually cold, but cold in terms of refreshment with the hope of the gospel and life in Christ. That's what this is. This is a call to buy from me gold, he says. He says, they also get from me white garments. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. What's this talking about? These white garments is a call to holiness. It's a call to don't just be like everybody else, but be set apart unto Christ. Step away from, repent of this attitude of self-sufficiency and instead express your dependency on him. Live dependently on the Lord. Put on white garments that you won't be naked in your pride. And he also counsels them to buy from him salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. In other words, listen, listen, see reality. Don't continue living in the delusion that the sum total of the Christian life is that you said a prayer and you know some things and you agree with some things. But rather you were disciples of Jesus Christ put here for a purpose to live out that purpose. Being in the rut of lukewarmness is marked by complacency. It's marked by self-sufficiency. And the call here from Jesus is for us to get out of that rut. We get out of that rut. To get out of that rut of lukewarmness, Christ calls us to be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. You say, where do you get that, Ross? I get it from our text. Look again. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove. That's an important note here because a bunch of you sitting at home right now and feeling guilty and feeling defeated and feeling like, man, oh man, I can't wait till the sermon series is over um, so we can get into something positive and good. This is positive. This is good because Jesus doesn't want you to waste your life. He rebukes us because he loves us. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So, here it is, so, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Throw off that complacency. Repent. Recognize the folly of self-sufficiency and depend on the Lord. Be zealous be zealous. What is, what is the next thing that you need to do if you are going to be zealous for the Lord? What is the next thing you, you need to do? What is the next step you need to take if you are going to step out of that complacency? Maybe you say, Ross, I have no idea. That would be something for you to take up with your growth group this week. And share with your brothers and sisters in your group. Say, I, I have a sense that I, there might be some complacency in my life, but I'm having a hard time. And they can maybe help you to think about opportunities that God has put right in front of you that maybe you're not seeing. They might be able to seek the Lord with you to say, Let, let's pray about that. Let's, let's, uh, let's bring that before the Lord to, su- to, support it, to uh, the, the express your desire to be on mission for him. Maybe you'd seek counsel from another mature believer, from a pastor. Or maybe, my guess is there's lots of you that know there's something, there's something God has given me to do right now, even in the midst of a lockdown, and I just need to move toward doing it. I need to act. For some of us, when I think of complacency, I think especially in this season of this year that we've been in of total disruption, and my guess is, is that some of us, maybe even lots of us, have in this time created new habits that aren't necessarily good habits that we need to get out of. Maybe we've disengaged a bit, and I'm glad you've joined us today. Thanks for being here part of this, but this hasn't been your habit to connect regularly with the teaching from the church. Maybe you once did connect with other believers in fellowship, but you got out of the habit of doing that. 
for some of us, it's, we need to, if we're going to repent, if we're going to shed off our complacency, we're going to need to assess, we're going to need to acknowledge some bad habits we've gotten into and seek the Lord's help to establish new habits. Jesus says, get out of that rut by repenting, by repenting, by being zealous, sorry, by being zealous and repenting. Shed off that complacency with zealous, with zealousness, with zeal. Do away with that self-sufficiency with repentance. How do I repent of my self-sufficiency? I get down on my knees before the Lord or I bow my head or I say a prayer right where I am right now and say, Lord, I've been a fool. I need you. And then get specific. In what ways do you need him? You say, well, Ross, in every way. I know in every way, but name a few. Lord, I need you in my marriage. You call me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. She's a wonderful woman, but I, I can't do that on my own. God, I need help to raise these kids. My kids have been raised. They're adults now, and I need your wisdom to know how to navigate this relationship, as complicated as it may be. I don't know how to begin this next conversation with my loved one. I don't know how to deal with this conflict, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord. Give me understanding. We maybe would pray uh, particularly about our finances. Lord, give me wisdom in handling with my money. I got big decisions on the horizons, a big choice I've got to make. God, help me to make it. Lord, I have a loved one I'm sharing, sharing the gospel with. Lord, I can't change their heart. I can't change their mind. You see, we, we are, how do we deal with complacency? We resolve to be zealous. We repent of our complacency with zealousness and, and taking a step to move in the direction of being on mission and service of the Lord. How do we get out of the rut of self-sufficiency, this lukewarmness that shows up in self-sufficiency? By acknowledging that we can't do it on our own. And that everything that we have comes from the one from whom all good things come. From the Lord and looking to him. So loved ones, what's the next thing that you need to do? Maybe it's to act. Maybe it's today to pray. But we get out of the rut of lukewarmness by responding to Christ's call to be zealous and to repent. Now, before I close here, I want to give you some encouragement and some help. I'll give you some direction. So how do I get out of the rut of lukewarmness? Be zealous and repent, Jesus says. But he doesn't just leave it there. He tells us what to do, but he also gives us a boost. Sometimes that's what we need, right? Sometimes when you're stuck, you need a boost. Like if you ever got your, your car stuck in a bank, in a snow bank, you know, you need, you need a, a push out of it. Or if you ever, you know, got down in a hole or something, or you're falling, you need a help up. Jesus gives us here a help here. He, he not only gives us the commandment, but he gives us the power to act. And that power comes by way of a promise. And the promise is actually two promises. Notice what he says in, in verse 20, Revelation 3 in verse 20. So after laying out the complaint, and then calling them to be zealous and repent, Jesus says this to them, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on, the th on my throne as I, as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. 
And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus here gives us what I would suggest to you, uh, power, help to get out of this rut. We find strength to get out of the rut of lukewarmness in Christ's promises. Christ's promises here are a source of motivation, a source of help, a source of power to help us get moving out of that rut. And there's two promises here. The first one is a promise of fellowship. Do you notice that in verse 20? He says, I stand at the door and knock. It's like someone's at the door. Who is it? It's Jesus. And he wants in to have fellowship with you. Well, where, where are you going to experience fellowship with him? You're going to experience it on mission for him. When you shed off that complacency and replace it with zealousness, you're going to experience him there on the mission field, in the ministry, at the bedside, in helping your aging parent. You're going to experience him there in raising your children as you step out with, with, uh, with sanctify and the power of the Holy Spirit on mission for the Lord. As you step out for him, you will meet Jesus there as he helps you, as he works in you and through you. That's where we meet him. Of course, many times you've heard this verse as, an evangel as used evangelistically, and it has wonderful evangelistic application. Perhaps you're hearing this message today and you're still considering Christianity and you haven't yet given your life to Christ. I think there is a beautiful picture here of uh, the, the heart of Jesus to, for you to know him, for you to enjoy him. And many times this verse is pointed to as a, an invitation to come to Christ. And I, I, I would extend that invitation to you. Jesus today would call to you to say, come to me and live. I want to have fellowship with you. But I'd say in this particular context, the message is actually for those who've already answered that invitation of Jesus, who know him. Jesus says, I want you to experience me. I want to have fellowship together. And this is the promise that we have that when, as we step out of this rut, we'll experience the fellowship of the Lord. It's a motivation to say, hey, you want to know me? You want to experience me? Then come on. Come on, just get up out of that rut here. Let's have a conversation with your growth group. Here, let, let's, let's take a specific action toward what I want you to do. Let, let's lay hold of that opportunity. You want to experience me? Then start acting like you depend on me as you really do. Bring it to me. You pray that prayer. Express that need to me. And watch me provide. Watch me move. You'll experience me. That's why I think this, this text just fits so necessarily into this series on personal renewal because the, the, the place of renewal that many of us will find, for some it will be in worship, for some it will be in confessing uh, secret sins, but for some that renewal is going to be experienced when you get up off it and on the path of serving the Lord, you'll meet Jesus there. Friends, we get up, the, the strength to get up out of the rut of lukewarmness comes in Christ's promises. The promise of fellowship and also the promise of eternal life, particularly to reign with Christ forever. And that's what Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He's reminding us of our eternal destiny. It ain't easy right now. But one day, it will all be worth it. So get up out of that rut. <laughs> you got a promise of fellowship with the Lord now. 
and to reign with him forever. And in that day, you will be glad you responded to his call. So friends, what is it that turns the Lord's stomach? It's a lukewarm church. It's lukewarm Christians. Lukewarmness is marked by complacency and self-sufficiency. You get up out of that rut of complacency and self-sufficiency by answering Christ's call to be zealous and repent. And the power source to do that, the encouragement to do that, comes from the promises of Jesus who reminds us that as we go, we will experience him. And when the end comes, it'll all be worth it. Loved one, get up out of that rut. Will you take stock of yourself today? Will you honestly before the Lord examine your heart and ask yourself, am I lukewarm? And then respond to the Lord as he's called us to. In fact, maybe you would just even pray a prayer when, at the close of the sermon. Say, Lord, help me to see my condition. Give me passion, renewed passion and zeal for the mission. Forgive me, God, for the foolishness of thinking myself sufficient. I declare today my dependence on you in Jesus' name.